presents First Years, a podcast for all but geared toward adult first-time readers of Harry Potter, who need a space to enjoy each book and have adult conversations about it. My name is Sarah, and I'm honored that you've allowed me on this journey with you. Crack open a butterbeer, grab a seat, and let's discuss. Today, we're talking about the DA. Welcome, everybody, to episode 55 of First Years. Today, we are talking about chapters 18 and 19 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. This chapter starts out with our characters discussing how Umbridge had to have read Harry's mail. And Hermione talks about how she was suspicious of this since Filch tried to catch Harry out for ordering dung bombs. Remember that morning in the Owlery with Cho? It would have been a really good excuse to read Harry's mail. So what do you guys think about this plan? What do you think that they think that Harry is up to? What are they hoping to get out of reading Harry's mail? Obviously, now they know that they were contacting Sirius, but what about beforehand? Was it just a lucky guess? Or did they really not have an agenda? They're just snooping and trying to find out what they can find out. And do you think this is something that's happening to Harry specifically? Or do you think all of the students are at risk of having their mail opened or, you know, or actually having their mail opened? After charms, we find out from Angelina that they've been given permission to reform the Gryffindor Quidditch team which is awesome news, but it sounds like it wasn't an easy process. She had to go to McGonagall, who then spoke to Dumbledore, who probably then forced Umbridge to give in. But either way, Quidditch is back on, thank Merlin. Hermione, meanwhile, is second-guessing her idea of forming a club to learn defense against the dark arts. And she's second-guessing it because Sirius thinks it's a good idea which makes her think it's an irresponsible idea since he would do the same thing. She doesn't trust his judgment. She's worried that Sirius is trying to live vicariously through them. And so he's trying to get them to do what he would do so he can feel like he's doing something. And the boys don't get it. And logically, I get it. But this was an idea that Hermione had all on her own. Is she just uncomfortable that she and Sirius have an overlapping idea of what's a good idea? Because you would think Hermione would think her own ideas are good ideas, I would hope. (laughs) Um, So do you think she's just thrown by the fact that this idea she had is something that Sirius also would have thought of? What do you think? And do you think Sirius can be trusted? Or do you think he's reckless and his judgment probably shouldn't be relied upon? They do go to Quidditch practice, but it's kind of a disaster again. It's raining so hard they can barely see each other, and so it's not really ideal practice conditions. At the end of it, Harry's scar hurts, and he says that it's more painful than it's been in months. 
But Harry realizes that it's because Voldemort is angry. And he doesn't know how he knows this, but he seems to now have insight into what Voldemort is feeling or what he's up to. He knows that Voldemort wants something done, but it isn't being done fast enough. And he realizes now that when his scar hurt when he was with Umbridge, it was Voldemort feeling happy about something. Both Voldemort being happy about something and him being furious about something feels terrifying to experience. And both instances can't mean anything good. Ron says that Harry should tell someone, but Harry knows he can't tell Sirius because his mail is being watched. And so Ron suggests Dumbledore, but Harry, again, doesn't want to speak to Dumbledore. He already knows, apparently, since he was speaking about this last year. But even though Ron insists that Dumbledore would want to know, Harry just shrugs it off. So what do you think about this? Can you blame Harry for not wanting to talk to Dumbledore? Dumbledore really hasn't been there for Harry in this book besides showing up at the ministry for him, but again, didn't really say hello to him at the time. And I think this also just points to the theme we've seen since the very beginning of this book, where Harry is really having to shoulder everything on his own. And at least now, even if he doesn't necessarily have to, because he can be in contact with people like Dumbledore that could probably help him, Harry still feels as if he has to shoulder this on his own. As Harry thinks about what Voldemort might want done, he thinks back to what we learned from the Order, that he's after something he didn't have last time, something like a weapon. And Harry asks himself, quote, had the Order thwarted him, stopped him from seizing it? Where was it kept? Who had it now? Unquote. So we're reminded of this mystery, and that proves that it's important to this plot and this story. So I'll ask you to speculate again. What do you think it is? And do you think either side has it already? In the common room, Harry continues to wonder about everything, especially about why he was feeling what Voldemort was feeling. Why do they have this connection? And he specifically says that Dumbledore has never been able to explain it satisfactorily. What do you think about this? Is there a reason Dumbledore hasn't been able to explain it well to him? Does he not know? Is he hiding something? What do you think? And why do you think Harry knows what Voldemort is feeling? Why do you think his scar hurts the way it does? Because this is different than it's been in previous books, right? In book one, it's because Voldemort was actively nearby. But now Voldemort isn't nearby and Harry has insight into his emotions. As Harry thinks about all of this, he falls asleep and dreams about that corridor again. But he is awoken before he can open the door that's at the end of it. And Dobby is here, and he has Hedwig, who is back from being taken care of by Grubbly Plank, and we find out that Dobby is wearing almost everything that Hermione has made for the house elves, 
but is also sharing some items with Winky too. And we've speculated about Hermione's actions with Spew before, and now we find out that the house elves find it insulting. They refuse to clean Gryffindor Tower now because of the risk of picking up hats. So Dobby cleans the entire tower by himself. So it seems that everyone was right about the house elves, and Hermione was wrong. They don't want to be free, and they don't need her interference. While Dobby and Harry are talking, Harry brings up the fact that they need a room to practice defense against the dark arts in without anybody knowing. And Dobby knows the perfect place, something called the Room of Requirement. He heard about it from the other house elves. It's a room that someone can only enter when they have real need of it. Sometimes it's there and sometimes it isn't, and yet it's always equipped for what the person needs. And if you'll remember, Harry reminds us that Dumbledore said something about a room at the Yule Ball, which is a really cool detail that we missed earlier because it didn't really mean anything until now. And the best part, not many people know about it. People might stumble across it when they need it, and then they don't ever find it again. So Dobby gives Harry directions to the room of requirement so he can check it out later. And I want to just think about the concept of the room of requirement for a second, because what do you think the significance is of a room that is there for only when you need it? You're not necessarily ever going to find it again after you use it for the first time. So what does that mean? What's, what makes this room different from other rooms? You know, do we take advantage of other rooms? Is it, is it important because maybe not all of us actively ever need something specifically? What do you think? Do you think the room of requirement was created by a founder, sort of like the Chamber of Secrets? Do you think it just sort of appeared itself? What do you guys think of the room of requirement? And Hermione, just like with Sirius, doesn't really trust Dobby's ideas. And it's only when it's mentioned that Dumbledore knows about the room too, does she think it's okay. So Dobby's instructions are that you have to walk by the wall three times, concentrating on what you need. And after they do so, a door appears and inside it is a room that's perfect for what they need to practice defense against the dark arts. It's full of cushions for when they practice stunning. There are books that actually teach about real defense against the dark arts, not just theory. And so begins our first real defense against the dark arts lesson of this book. And we find out what the chapter title means. They vote that Harry is officially the leader of the group, and then they vote on a name, ending up with the DA, Dumbledore's army. Harry starts them off with Expelliarmus, which Zachariah Smith tries to shoot down at first, until Harry points out that he used that spell against Voldemort, and it saved his life. And so they practice this spell, which Harry points out is a good thing because not everyone has the hang of it. And I think it shows us how getting back to the basics can be super helpful because how often are you really using spells from year one if you're learning more complicated spells in year five, right? 
So going back to basics is always a really good idea. We see Cho get very nervous around Harry and mess up her spell. And we find out that the reason her friend is always annoyed is that she doesn't really want to be here because her parents work for the ministry and forbade her from getting on Umbridge's bad side. The same with Cho, but Cho insists that she can't stand by after what happened to Cedric. And Luna jumps in that her father is pro anything against the ministry. And she talks about, you know, what is probably more fake news regarding Fudge saying that he's had goblins assassinated and that he uses the Department of Mysteries to develop poisons and has an umgumbular slash kilter, whatever that could possibly be. But overall, the first lesson goes really well, and they agree to meet again, and everyone's even more excited now. And that success carries Harry through his next defense against the Dark Arts class with Umbridge. And he's reflecting on how already the students are seeing improvement in their abilities. Neville is able to disarm Hermione. That's amazing. They are really making a lot of progress when they have a good teacher, which is great. Because we saw this in book three as well, when Lupin, who is objectively a very good defense against the dark arts teacher, a lot of the students succeeded in ways that we haven't really seen before. So what does that say about Harry's teaching? The DA meeting times keep changing, but it's a good thing because it keeps them from being predictable, which is definitely a good thing, especially when you are breaking lots of rules and going behind a ministry official's back. Hermione comes up with a clever way to let people know about the meeting times. She gives everyone a fake galleon and the numbers on it will change with the date and the time of the meeting. So everyone knows without having to talk to each other all the time. It says, quote, it would look so suspicious if people from different houses were seen crossing the great hall to talk to each other too often, unquote which just proves my point about house biases and our discussion about the Sorting Hat song a few chapters ago. Clearly, this school keeps their students so separated that houses talking to each other too frequently would be suspicious. What? Why? Why is this okay? <laughs> like, what if you're dating someone from another house or your best friend is from another house? Why is that suspicious? Stop separating your students like this. The sorting hat said we needed to come together. Sigh. Anyway, Hermione uses a protean charm on the coins to let everybody know. Harry can change the date and time on his coin and everyone else's coins will change too. And Hermione admits that she got the idea from the Death Eaters tattoos as a way to communicate, which is interesting. The meetings stop briefly, however, due to Quidditch. Remember, we didn't have any Quidditch last year, so everyone is pumped up for it now. However, Gryffindor winning might not be as easy as it was in previous years. Slytherin is actively trying to sabotage the Gryffindors with jinxes, and Ron gets flustered when he makes a mistake. When their game arrives, Ron is a wreck, and it only gets worse. He's having a really hard time getting the Slytherins out of his head, and not letting their comments interfere with his ability to play. The Slytherins are all wearing badges that say, Weasley is our king, 
And we find out why when we get to the pitch. They've written a whole song about him, which is just awful and cruel, even by Slytherin standards. And Ron is letting a bunch of goals in. Harry manages to save the game by catching the snitch. However, the game does not end with a celebration. Malfoy, because he's Malfoy, can't help himself and has to throw it in everybody's face about the song and how they wanted to add more lyrics and insults. And it takes three people to keep Fred away from Malfoy. And Harry is holding George back. And then Malfoy says another thing. And Harry and George are on him. They're sent to McGonagall, but of course Umbridge has to butt in and we see her new position in action again. McGonagall says it's her responsibility as their head of house, but Umbridge corrects her and says there's a new educational decree out that says she has supreme authority over all punishments, sanctions, and removal of privileges as may have been ordered by other staff members. And we find out that this decree came out because McGonagall overrode her and went to Dumbledore about the team. And Umbridge just couldn't have that. So she'll go out of her way to continue to have these decrees made until she has supreme authority. And if you really think about that, how Umbridge can just go to the minister and have a new educational decree out that just gives her power that she didn't have before, that's terrifying. It's chilling. So she bans Harry, Fred, and George from playing Quidditch ever again, which feels extreme, but not surprising. This is probably what she wanted all along. What other decrees do you think she'll come out with that give her even more authority? The team is really bummed because now they have to find new players to replace their veterans. And Ron comes in at the end of the chapter, and he's just been walking around for the last however many hours. And they argue between whether or not it's actually his fault, which it isn't. The Slytherins probably would have tried something to psych out whoever was on the team, even if it wasn't Ron. And as they're arguing, we get good news. Hagrid is back. So at least the chapter ends on a high note. So what do you think we'll learn about Hagrid in the following chapters? What do you think about the events in this book so far? Let us know at firstyearspodcast at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at firstyearspod. I also now have a TikTok running, which is not spoiler free, but you can find me on TikTok at Verita Serum, so V-E-R-I-T-A-S-A-R-A-H-M. I talk about Harry Potter content, but it is full of spoilers, so go watch at your own risk. For next episode, we'll chat about chapters 20 and 21, and I will see you guys next time. First Years is a production of Matchbook. It's produced by Quinn Parker and myself, Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. All sources can be found in our show notes or on our website at authorsarahjonesdittmeyer.info forward slash first years podcast. That's Sarah with an H 
and Dittmeyer is spelled D-I-T-T-M-E-I-E-R. Please remember that staying a Harry Potter fan is the biggest form of revolt that you can have, and we are committed to continuing to make this fandom and this community safe and welcoming to everybody.